Hello listeners, this is Brielle from our weekend's Booked. Before you begin this week's episode, be forewarned, it does contain spoilers. If you're not caught up on the series in discussion, remember you can always follow our weekend's Booked on your favorite podcast outlet and check back later when you're ready. As always, thanks for listening. Welcome to our weekend's booked. I'm Brielle. And I'm Kate. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode where things are about to get charming. On today's episode, like we kind of talked about last time, we finally finished Tracy Wolf's fifth book in the Crave series, Charm, and we are so excited to talk to you guys about it today. This was so great. I I think I devoured it in like two days. Yeah, I was, it took me a little longer than I would have liked to read, but I was out of town and naively thought that while I was visiting uh, my nieces and nephews that I would be able to read, and that, of course, did not happen. <laughs> so it took me like six or seven days to read, but... So we're going to just jump right into this one because we do have a lot of stuff to talk about. But we kind of wanted to give you some background information on the author, Tracy Wolf, who we absolutely love. Um, I did a little bit of research online. As everyone already knows, if you've read any of her books, she is on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, She's written about 64 novels from what I could find. And what I thought was really interesting that I didn't know about her was that she actually used to be an English professor. Yeah, I couldn't believe that she wrote that many books. Like, I guess I'm just naive because I didn't know who she was before. And like, you know, this series like really sucked me into her work. But I really want to check out a lot of her other stuff. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing is like some books we would not have heard about because I found out that she does write under two different pen names. The first one is Tracy Deebs and the other one is Tessa Adams. So I think she may be kind of like Kate Locke where she writes under different pen names depending on what genre she writes. Yeah, and I think that's a really like awesome concept because then you can just kind of focus in on what genre is your favorite by that author and you can just kind of like look what they have to offer like under that specific name. Yeah, I really like that. I think it kind of gives them the ability to kind of have like a different personality for each type of writing that they do so that they're not stuck in, okay, I publish under Tracy Wolf as like fantasy fiction, young adult slash somewhat new adult. And then, you know, you're kind of stuck in that niche when they have the extra pen names. It kind of gives them another outlet to write more smutty romance or things like that and not be attached to the YA and stuff like that, you know? Oh, yeah. And like the reader has an easier time like finding it because, you know, like sometimes like we read fantasy, obviously, like predominantly. But then sometimes I want to read like a different genre. So it just makes it easier to find it. Yeah, so we're definitely going to have to look into some more of her other two pen names books and see if maybe there's something that we like that we can talk to you guys about. Okay, so for anybody who doesn't know, there are five books released in this series by Tracy Wolf. The first was Crave, then you had Crush, then Covet, Court, and now Charm. Which, every single one is a five out of five for me. Oh, for me too, for sure. But I will say this last book, I think, was my favorite of the whole series, for sure. Yeah, I'll have to agree with that. I don't usually show too much emotion after, like, reading a book. But I I was kind of, like, broken in half <laughs> when this concluded. 
Yeah, I think I, I think I told you earlier when we were talking that this book like emotionally shattered me, like broke me into a million pieces and then put me back together again. I mean, I cried at some parts that I was like, why am I crying right now? <laughs> yeah, I think that there's only been, okay, I'll be honest, there's only been one book that I've read multiple times that has made me like sob and that was Little Women. But like this book, it it came really close. Like there were several times where like my eyes were like welled up, but then at the end, I, I like actually had like tears running down my face. Yeah, and then when I finished it, I couldn't think about anything else. Like the whole day. That's all I could think about. Yeah, no, me neither. And I finished it so late at night and I knew I had to get up early to go to work and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And next thing I knew it was like after midnight and I was like, oh, great. I'm going to have a great day tomorrow. You know, sometimes it's worth it though. Oh, definitely worth it. Would do it again in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. I mean, so the day that I actually finished it was a Saturday, so I could stay up late and I think I stayed up till like three in the morning just so I could finish it because I couldn't stop reading it. Once I got to those last 50 pages, I like devoured it, which I'm kind of glad that I was out of town and it took me longer than usual to read this book because it's almost like I got to savor the whole thing instead of just reading it in two days like I normally do. Because now we have to wait until May for the next book to come out. Yeah. When I which, think I just looked it up. It's May 30th. Devastating. That's so far away devastating yeah so we're just gonna like kind of tell you guys a few of the main characters that kind of stood out to us in the book the first obviously are the main real main two characters of this book who's grace and hudson and if you have read the rest of the series you kind of know who both those characters are if you haven't we can just give you like a brief description of the two so grace is the main female character in the book and in the very first book, you see that she's sent to live with her uncle and her cousin at Catmere Academy after the tragic death of her parents. And Catmere Academy is like this whole world of magic that she's never seen before or experienced in her life. So it's kind of a culture shock until throughout the rest of the series, she discovers that she's not actually a human. She's a gargoyle. So there's a lot of parts at play there that kind of tie into this book to where she is now with our second main character, Hudson, who is kind of like a vampire bad boy or so. That's how everyone sees him. In my opinion, he's extremely misunderstood. And oh, yeah. we find more of that out in this book for sure. Yeah, Hudson definitely is portrayed as a villain. Um, Hudson has a brother, his name's Jackson. And of course, Grace and Jackson kind of hit it off. And you think, okay, this is Grace's guy. You know, he's going to do right by her and he's always there to protect her. And then you meet Hudson. And if you like the bad boys, your head kind of turns because you're like, oh, well, there's Hudson. And he's kind of like Jackson, but he's got that edge to him. But then when you read the series, you see that Hudson is like an onion and you just have to keep peeling him away because his character is just so deep. And that was like one of the things I loved about this book because it really focused on him and just how deep he actually goes. Yeah, I really liked that about this series, especially with him, because, you know, in the first two or three books, he's portrayed as like this monster. You know, everyone thinks he should be have been killed. His brother Jackson supposedly killed him, you know, that he deserved it, that he terrorized the school and did all these horrible things. When really he just allowed people to have that conception of him because it was easier than to let people get close to him. 
Yeah, because he had a really terrible childhood. I mean, him and Jackson both did not have, like, picturesque childhoods. But, like, Hudson was supposed to be, like, you know, the future vampire king. And he was supposed to be raised in a certain way. And he possesses some like extra supernatural abilities besides being a vampire that his own father was like trying to use against like basically the whole, you know, uh, paranormal community um, to kind of try to like bend them towards him. You know, he had this weapon in Hudson. He wanted them to fear him. And like the whole time, like, you know, Hudson's just trying to live his life. And his dad is like, basically was like keeping him underground when he wasn't doing like what he was supposed to do. Like, and I mean like underground, like actually like in a tomb. Yeah. He was definitely tortured. His father tortured him, which is like, so, so sad. Like, and the fact their mother allowed it, which is insane to me, but I guess, you know, when you're an evil vampire family, it's normal. I I don't know. Yeah. This is not, um, the Collins. They're definitely not the Collins. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Completely opposite end of the spectrum, for sure. So those are basically like the two main characters. When we kind of get into the plot, there's a lot of sub characters that we're gonna talk to you guys about, like relevant to that part in the story. Um, but I guess we can just go ahead and dive right into this book because I'm dying to. I've been waiting. <laughs> All right, let's go do it. So in the beginning of this book, Grace and Hudson are trapped together. They have no idea where they are. Or so Grace doesn't have an idea where they are because they end up being in Hudson's lair from the castle where he lives. So he knows where they are pretty much right away. But Grace has no idea. And when they finally figure it out, Hudson comes to the realization fairly quickly when there's, what was it? Strawberry Pop-Tarts in the kitchen? (laughs) And a lot of human needs. So he kind of comes to the conclusion that everything's going on in Grace's head with the exception of this huge dragon that is outside of this box that they're stuck in and trying to attack them. Yeah, and kind of a little bit of a backstory, let's go back just a little bit. When the third book ended, Hudson is supposedly trying to, like, kill Jackson and Grace is protecting Jackson, and that's how they end up in the lair. So I'm not going to, like, go into too much detail, but you have to understand that this series was written almost out of order. So Charm takes place in the span of what happened between book three and book four. So it's kind of up for debate if you can read them out of order. I wouldn't suggest it. But I think that it has been said, like, um, in like from some readers, that you you can do that. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you. Though I definitely wouldn't do that because I think you need all the information from those first four books. But I mean, everybody reads in a different order, so I'm sure that there's some people that want to read it like that. But I feel like you get the full picture if you read them in like the order that we did, the first four, and then this one. Yeah. So they're in the lair. Dragons outside trying to get them. And you have to understand, like, they're trapped in here. They can't leave, obviously. So they're kind of, like, getting to know each other. And Grace is, like, thinks that she's, like, stuck in here with a murderer. And, you know, Hudson, he's not going to come right out and say, like, I'm not a murderer. I did, you know, X, Y, and Z for these reasons. He's not that type of person. So he kind of, like, lets her form her own opinions. 
And this is like where all this sadness like really starts because, you know, I just feel so bad for Hudson the whole time. Yeah, I mean, and while they're, like Brielle said, while they're in this lair getting to know each other, Hudson can read her mind and she also has full access to every journal he's written since he was a child. So they're kind of really diving deep into each other's psyche. And that's what, through reading his journals is where she kind of starts to think that maybe he's more than what everyone has made him out to be. Yeah, and he is very, like, sarcastic. And he can be kind of a dick, too. So he knows that acting like that bothers Grace. So he does it, like, more and more. Which is just, it makes for a great read. Because, you know, it's, like, funny. And these are, like, teenagers. And they're, like, playing off each other's emotions. They're already upset that they're stuck there. And they don't know why they're stuck there. And they want to get out. So it's kind of cool to read. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the banter between the two of them added to the tension that was building between them in this throughout this entire book. And they're stuck here for, I think it was an entire year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, before this dragon finally, like, bust through one of the walls forcing them to like run out of the place and that cr- has them crossing over into a different realm which yes, we come to find out is the shadow realm what was the name of it uh normar normar yeah and normar is kind of a weird place i mean um it's the description of it is basically like purple that's basically all you get everything is purple everywhere I kind of thought that maybe it was, there's a movie it's called Pleasantville with Tobey Maguire and everything's in black and white. And in my head, that's kind of what I thought. Like it was, something was off, you know, maybe there was a curse or maybe just something wasn't right. That's kind of like what my brain led me to think, but it was kind of weird because like everything's purple. That's all they talk about is how purple everything is. Yeah. That was like a huge thing. And I was, I, I like your analogy with the Pleasantville because when you told me that, I was like, that definitely in my head makes a lot of sense because it's just the way that the whole entire book until like the very end, when you find out why everything's purple, I was like, why is that? doesn't make any sense. The food's purple. The clothes are purple. The people are purple. And it's not just one shade of purple. It's multiple different color shades of purple. Yeah, when they um, get to Normar, they meet Arnst and Marley. And their daughter, Teola. And these are, like, the first people that they meet after a year of being, you know, stuck in that box. So they obviously are a little untrustworthy. You know, they don't really know. They have no idea what realm they're in or why they're there or who these people are. And I can't like the little girl is kind of like described as having like really sharp pointy teeth. So that would like freak anybody out. Yeah. I mean, I really thought when they, when they first described the little girl and the whole world being purple, I really thought we were walking up on monsters like right away, right out the gate. But it turned out she was just a little weird. Yeah. And they did like, they did end up helping them. You know, Hudson and Grace helped them on the farm, harvesting all these blue foods. And, like, poor Hudson, you know, he doesn't eat food. He obviously is a vampire. So they kind of touch on that where he um, doesn't feel hunger as much in this realm, which kind of, like, also made me think that this was either, like, a curse land or, like, 
something was off in this realm because obviously like everybody experiences hunger no matter what species they are yeah yeah i mean i think they had said that even before because it I, there was one point in the book where it said he hadn't fed in like two years so it was before they even were inside the realm which i guess prior to being trapped with grace he was trapped somewhere else yeah yeah so that would make sense but yeah so he's out in the, they're out in the squelching heat dude hasn't eaten in two years and we also forgot to mention that when they come across the farm with Ernst, Marley, and Teola, Teola, their little girl, is a collector of things. So as soon as they get to the farm, they're like swamped by all these little shadow creatures, which they call umbras, I think, in the book. Yeah. And there's one in particular that's name is Smokey that takes a liking to Hudson and doesn't like whenever Grace is around him. Almost like yeah. his own little personal pet. Yeah, it was so cute because I think in, like, the journals, like, Grace uncovered a lot about Hudson. And one of the things was he didn't have a normal childhood. And I remember her saying, like, you know, this is probably the first pet that he's ever had. And how sad is that? He's, you know, he's, like, almost 20 years old and has never had a pet or, or like, anything to, like, call his own. Because, like, everything that he's ever done has been dictated by his father. So sad. Broke my heart. Yeah, Smokey. We're going to talk about Smokey more. Yeah, I love Smokey. Cute little thing. Um, but so like Brielle said, they help, they help them on the farm. So Arnson Mallory, Marily, I cannot say that name for the life of me. They help them out and they stay there for a few days, but they tell them they have to move on. So there's a shadow queen of this land. Her name is Cleo. And basically she despises humans um, because when she was younger, her sister was poisoned by one. So any human that crosses over into the realm, she's basically wants to kill. So right away, they know that they're going to be after Grace, especially because she's human at this point in the book. So they don't know how word got to the Queen's Shadow Army so quickly, but they come to basically attack Grace and Hudson. So Arntz gives them a bag, money, a note and tells them that they need to leave now and they start to make their way towards a town called Adairi, which is from what Arnst had told them will be where they can get like a safe haven and sanctuary from this shadow army. Yeah, and like you have to gain access into this town. So they're like stumped as soon as they get there because they're like, how are we ever going to get there? And they come across a set of, or three troubadours, um, who is like a, I guess, a trio of singers. And they're going to help Grace and Hudson gain access, but they have to do it. They, they have to like give them something in return. And the um, exchange is actually for them to join them on stage so that they can audition for this festival. And they needed like two other people to audition with them. So Grace and Hudson are it. Which I totally love because this um, this part in the book when they finally get to the edge of the city and there's this huge stone wall that's keeping them out and they bump into this troubadour group and have to go into the city. And they're almost immediately, like, once they check in at this inn, they go to the festival for the audition. And the part I love about it is that it's the first time that you kind of see Grace look at Hudson as something different than what it was before because he 
So when they go when they go on stage for this performance they're supposed to do, Grace's outfit is a little risque and Hudson can tell that she's uncomfortable. So he decides to give her some more time that he's going to go out on stage by himself without anyone and sing this song. And he sings a song for Grace, which my heart swoons. It was so cute. But he kind of takes over the whole performance. And shows yeah, her, like a softer side of himself. And doesn't he sing like, is it like a Harry Styles song or like a One Direction song? And like Grace absolutely loves them. Yeah, it was, like, it was, like, one of her favorite songs. Yeah, this is definitely, like, the first time that you see, like, that human side to Hudson where he, like, does something for someone else. Because, like, Grace has always heard how terrible he is and how selfish he is and how he's only out for himself. And that gets, like, the wheels turning in her head. Like, wait a minute, maybe everything that I've been told is not correct. Maybe I need to, like, take another look at this dude. Yeah, and definitely, I think with the little nugget of all the journals in the back of her head and then this situation really had her open her eyes to look at him in a different perspective than she had been before. But the good thing that came from this performance, even though they didn't want to do it, was that it caught the attention of the mayor, Soil, who was the person that they had to speak to in order to be allowed to get sanctuary in the city. Yeah, and he is another multi-layered character. When we first got introduced to him, I was like, this guy is just, like, crazy, eccentric, like, something's a little off with him. But I'll be honest, like, I didn't think that he was, like, harmful at first. Did Mm -hmm. you? No, I, I definitely agree with you. I thought he was a little bit eccentric at first and a total weirdo. But I didn't look at him as a threat, yeah, and then it turns out he's, like, the biggest threat that... Yeah, <laughs> basically, yes, exactly. But the, this... And the sad part is, they meet up with this mayor, and he... So, they meet him at a little cafe after the festival, and they kind of are discussing things. He tells them that they're welcome there. They start to get settled into, like, this new life and live as normally as possible. And things are kind of getting a little normal, right? Like, they're starting to find jobs and things like that and coming to the realization that they may never get back to their realm ever again. Yeah, and it's, like, a hard pill for Grace to swallow because, you know, Kate had told you earlier that, like, her parents were killed and then she, like, got uprooted and had to, like, go live with her uncle and her cousin at Katmere. And now that's been ripped away from her and she's stuck with Hudson So she's kind of like trying to find her way. And at first she's like having a really hard time finding a job because she can't find anything that just is like, you know, her niche. So then, you know, and like Hudson is like working two jobs to kind of support them because like obviously he's great at everything. But they start to like settle into a routine and we even get another Smokey appearance. Yes, Smokey finds them and they can't get rid of Smokey. Doesn't Smokey follow them into the mountains and they actually have her before they actually go into the city? Yes. So when they're like, they had to like go over like this hellacious mountain to like get over the mountain and then back down the mountain. And that's like where the town is. And I think like one night they're like hiding in a cave and they hear like this. It's described as like a 
a yelching noise. <laughs> I'm like in my mind, I'm thinking like of the noise like a cat makes when they're mating. That's like what I think about. Yeah. Um, and they hear it and they're thinking like, oh, we're about to meet our impending doom here. But it's just a little smoky because she missed Hudson so much. And we left out one important part in the back in the cave. I'm glad you brought that up. So we mentioned earlier that Hudson hadn't fed in over a year. And on this journey from the farm to a dairy, Hudson was like fading in and out. So, you know, they call it fading when vampires jump like really quickly from one area to another. And so he's fading with Grace on his back this whole way. And she sees that he's like literally so tired. He looks like he's at the point of death. And so she lets him feed off of her so that he can get energy. We left that part out. That's important. That is important because it's not just feeding, you know, it's not just like, you know, getting a drink over here. This is like a, like a soul connecting experience for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I take back what I said earlier. I think that's when things started to change between them because she started to feel something for him that she didn't feel before after they had that bonding experience. Yeah, she felt like a connection, not just like on like the physical level, but like she felt like something was going on internally. And I think Hudson kind of knew it too, but Hudson is also, and he doesn't tell her this, he knows that she's not all human. He doesn't know what she is, but he knows that she's not all human. Yeah, that's, and I, that's one thing I love about his character is, you know, I feel like throughout the books, Jackson, who Brielle had spoken about earlier, was who she thought was her mate, really tried to, like, protect her from everything and didn't let her experience her own life. And I feel like the difference with Hudson was that he stepped back and allowed her to figure things out to make her own mistakes, but then was still there to catch her if she fell. Yeah, he's, they're really like a team. They become, they um, become like a team more than just like Grace and Hudson, you know. It's like, what do you call one of those things where, like, you combine their names? Oh, God. Don't ask me that because I can't think of that right now. <laughs> it's like Grayson, right? There, there we go. Grayson. <laughs> yeah. Grayson. Well, I actually like that. Yeah. <laughs> but they, um, yeah, Brielle's right. So they, they're living their life, starting to kind of get feelings for each other. And one night they attend this fire festival, which is this big festival that they have um, in the city of Adairy. And... They're up in the watchtower or the clock tower and they kind of finally start to admit some of the feelings that they have for each other. Boom. Here comes that dragon back out of nowhere from the beginning of the book. Ruined everything. Yeah. Ruined everything. I mean, they were like, weren't they like dancing? That's one of their things is they do like to dance together. I guess it's just something that they've connected on and dancing, you know, there's like a, a star shower thing happening and then here comes the dragon. And of course, like every instinct that both of them have, because Grace does want to protect her friends and her family members. Um, that's like a big like character point for her in all the books. So she immediately is like, okay, we're going into defense mode. How are we going to protect these people? Yeah, so their brief happiness is ruined and they automatically like jump into action. And this is the part of the book where we actually find out that Grace is a gargoyle. 
Because yeah. remember, so the dragon is going to attack Hudson, and she basically stands in between them, and for whatever reason, it's not explained right away, neither one of them gets burned by this fire-breathing dragon. Neither one of them is even hurt. So we find out later that it's because Grace turned herself to stone. They end up killing the dragon, but the dragon actually had brought a friend, and that one gets away. I was just going to say, like, right after that happened, you would think, I mean, like, the townspeople are, like, running up to them, congratulating them, thanking them. And you would think that the mayor would do the same thing, but instead he's kind of like, oh, thanks, um, brunch at my house tomorrow so we can talk about this. And that's, like, the first time that I was like, oh, time out, something's up with this guy. Yeah, like, there's definitely, that was the point I was like, okay, there's more to this story than what's going on. And the way they describe his house when they go to the brunch is, it makes me think this guy's insane. Yeah, like, he has, he have like, portraits of himself, like, in different, like, decades, like, you know, 70s, 60s, whatever, like, all over his house. Yeah, and it was, they said, I think Grace used the phrase, it gave her Saturday night fever vibes. Yeah, the John Travolta movie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, the guy was stuck in a different era. But they find out while he's at this br- that while they're at this brunch that he's actually a time wizard, which I was like, when they said time wizard, I was like, okay, some this something's not right with this guy. Something bad is gonna happen with this guy. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah, because if you have read the series, you know that there is a time wizard in book four, and Kate and I are. I guess we're both in agreement that this is the same guy. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Which, I mean, this dude, it just throws you through a whole loop. You think he's a little bit of a crazy guy. Go to his house. Definitely now we know he's a crazy guy. Then he's just like, oh, nonchalantly, like, yeah, by the way, I'm a time, I'm a time wizard. And the dragons that you've been fighting aren't actually regular dragons. They're time dragons. And they're attacking you because you broke the time when you came here into this realm. Like you put a splice in the realm that you shouldn't be here. So it's going to attack you until it kills you. And so he knew that the first time that he met them. And told them like at the little cafe. That they had nothing to worry about. The dragon wasn't coming back. And every time you kill one. It makes me more powerful. Yep. Left that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Not crazy at all though. Not crazy at all. No, he's a great guy. So after that happens, we get to a point where they're barely speaking to each other, right? What happens to where, I can't remember what happens to where they don't really speak to each other for a few weeks. They're just kind of like coming and going. You know, he Hudson leaves before she wakes up, is in bed before she gets home. Okay, so I think that, so remember Grace has come to the conclusion because of what the mayor told them that basically she has to die. She has to die for like um, the whole town of um, Adderay and Normar for all of them to be like released from this curse that they're under. Because the, the Shadow Queen is the one that put the curse on them, correct? Yes. Okay. So these people, they are kind of just like living on, on, a, on a loop. You know, get up, go to work, 
you know, get your groceries, go to school, whatever you do every day. This is the same thing that they do every day. They do have this festival like every, I think they had like twice a year, I think it was. Um, yeah, because it was the first one and the second one happened pretty closely in time. I felt like it was like three months or something. So that's their like reward for like not trying to find out how to break this curse. So the mayor kind of like tells Grace, you know, well, these dragons are making me powerful. The only way that, you know, you can break this is basically if you die, because as a gargoyle, she's like the protector of everything. So of time, of space, everything. So Hudson, he's already in his head come to the conclusion that like he's head over heels for Grace. And she is, like, not there yet, but she's on the way. So I think he, like, starts to distance himself from her because he knows what she's going to do. And he doesn't know if he'll be able to stop it. Because in this realm, Hudson is powerless. Like, he can fade, but that's about it. Yeah, like, he's not even as strong as he normally would be. No, and Hudson is a pretty, like, powerful vampire. Like, that's why his dad was, you know, using him, like, against everyone because... Hudson can literally get into people's minds and bend their will. So he can like make them like commit suicide when he does, when he was doing things like that for his dad, like he does, like he feels remorse for that and he carries that with him. And he also has the power to like disintegrate like entire populations, like with just like a snap of his fingers. But in this realm, he doesn't have any of that. So he's like at a loss because he doesn't know what to do. Like, yeah, I've got a little bit of like superhuman strength, but that's all I got for, to, you know, to fight for my girl over here. Yeah. And like you said, he's totally in love with her at this point. And she's in love with him, too, I think, but she just doesn't want to admit it. And so I think. It really comes out in her when they're avoiding each other for weeks. And at this point, they've already kissed. Like, there's been a few intimate things that have happened between them. But she's still kind of in denial because it's Jackson's brother. And then I think them not speaking to each other for all those weeks. And then finally, she's, like, had enough. And she's like, you know, you're going to tell me why you're not talking to me. What's going on? And they kind of have, like, this discussion and tell each other how they feel. And isn't that the part where Hudson drops on her? about the mating bond. So Grace is like so mad when they're having this conversation. She's like, tell me how you, tell me why you're not talking to me. Tell me this, tell me that. And he thinks that she's mad because she found out about the mating bond that they have, that Hudson and Grace have. And yes. that he didn't tell her and that she discovered it, but she actually still has no idea that they have that mating bond. So they start kissing and all this stuff. And he tells her about the bond and she like pushes him away and asks what he's talking about. And, you know, then she realizes this blue string that she's been able to see inside of herself that is so bright and vibrant is actually her connection with Hudson that she was too afraid to touch this whole time. Yeah, and she didn't, she didn't even know she could, like, actually look in herself because that's, like, a gargoyle thing. So apparently, in my head, you know, I feel like she closes her eyes and she kind of, like, looks at her subconscious and there's all these strings in there just, like, hanging down. And each one kind of represents a person that she has in her life or somebody that's important to her. And I don't really remember if she's ever actually seen the one that was Jackson's, but Hudson knows that that one disappeared. He doesn't know why. He knows, you know, just from like growing up in 
the world that he grew up in that when a mating bond disappears, the mate died. But he doesn't feel, you know, in himself that Jackson's dead. So he kind of talks it up to, okay, well, Jackson probably thinks that she's dead because, you know, she like basically disappeared and she's like, we're stuck in this other realm. But he checks on it every day and then he sees this blue one. And it's described as being like the same blue as his eyes. And he knows like, oh, oh man, that's me. And it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter every day. Which is like amazing, right? (laughs) Because you're rooting for them at this point. If you've read the series, you are rooting for these two to be together back from book three. When things start to be revealed about stuff. Yes. And great. I'll be honest right now. Grace was not my favorite character, book one, book two, just because she was trying to do things that she couldn't do because, I mean, she was only human. And Jackson was kind of, like, holding her back. She was a little bit whiny, but, like, she really grew on me. And, like, for her and Hudson to be together, like, yeah, I am team Grayson over here 100%. Oh, me too. Me too. I mean, and this this whole situation like i thought for sure when he was saying to her i know i should have told you about the bonds and all this stuff and she's just like what i thought that was it i thought she was gonna like turn her back on him can't believe you didn't tell me blah 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 but it actually like intensified the moment that they were sharing and like kind of finally brought them together yeah she was able to like accept it fully yeah and i think that's the moment too where they decide like okay well you know, no matter what, we have to try to find a way to stop the mayor and, like, free this town from this curse. And I think at that point is where we meet Nayez because he's kind of um, kind of important into, like, figuring out how to break the curse. Yeah, so Nayez, we'll back up for is the inn owner who's a cousin of the farmer aunts that we met and he sends them there to stay at his inn. So he gets them all settled in when they first arrive. But when they have to prepare for the return of this dragon and figure out what they need to do, Nayez and the rest of the town actually come together and figure out a way how they're going to defeat this dragon, which is, it's pretty cool. So they come back, um, I think from where were they when they go back and like they walk into the inn and they might've been with the troubadours and they come back to the inn. And as soon as they walk in, Nayez is like, it's time to settle the bill. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute. We have like much important things um, to worry about than, uh, you know, paying, paying our room tab. (laughs) Yeah. And instead he gives them more proof of what they need for grace to be able to save them all. There's in the middle of the town, there's a statue of what they find out later is an actual gargoyle, but they think it's like a warrior female and a dragon and it's in the center of the town. Nayez actually lets them know that that's actually another gargoyle frozen in time. So they come up with this plan that Grace is going to go speak to the gargoyle inside and her name is Ardala. And she's actually been, she's frozen. She's not dead. It's not a real statue. She's been frozen for, what, a thousand years, they said? She's been protecting them? Yeah. So I think that she's she's frozen the same way that Grace is frozen while all this is going on. 
like it's like stone form so it never moves but like internally you know the person inside is still like living it's on a different like timeline obviously but it's the same same thing that Grace is going through. So I think she all she has to do is like put her hand on the stone and they can like telepathically like talk. Talk to each other, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she's so Arla is actually frozen with a dragon. What was the dragon's name? I already forgot. Uh Asuga. Asuga, yeah. So they're frozen and they come up with this plan that they're going to overpower the time wizard the mayor so because he needs only a certain amount of dragon magic in order to get back to the realm that he's from to save his daughter but if he does that then he's gonna alter the time for every creature that's ever been born for the last thousand years so they definitely can't let him get back so they come up with this plan that they're going to overpower him with dragon magic, which is going to kill him, supposedly. So they come up with a plan that they're going to unfreeze the dragon, they're going to kill it, and Soul's going to suck up all the dragon magic, which all their, their plan comes to fruition. But what they don't expect is that when Soul takes in this magic, he explodes, and then the magic has to go somewhere. And again, Grace is going to sacrifice herself. Like always. Nothing new here. Always the martyr. And instead, Hudson takes all of the magic for them. And boom, everything goes black and they wake back up in the lair. Like nothing ever happened. Yeah. Which is crazy. But then you find out that... That's kind of like where book four ends, I guess. Yeah, because that's when they just, that's when they figure out, well, if you have all this time, you know, time jumping power now, we can go home and we need to. And I think it's a little bit of an internal struggle for Hudson because they're so happy there and he's not ready to give her up. And it's so unknown what's going to happen. But by the end of the book, they decide they're going to go home to Katmere and figure out everything once they get there. Yeah, because they have, like, people to save, and then the Shadow Queen has, like, crossed over into that realm, and she's, like, took, she took one of their friends, and the mayor is the time wizard, at you know, in that book, and it, it's kind of confusing, but, you, you know, you have to just read all the books to, like, piece everything together. It's like everything comes back full circle in this book. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it, yeah. It, it makes a lot of missing puzzle pieces click into place. And, I, like, they jump to the epilogue, they're back at Katmere, and then we go back to the book where, you know, Grace can't remember anything, she's still in love with Jackson, and we see her journey as she falls back in love with Hudson for the second time. And they decide they're going to go save all their friends, most importantly, Smokey. Oh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't tell him that. We didn't. We skipped over Smokey, who basically became Hudson's BFF and, like, sacrificed herself to save them from one of the dragons. That was, the, when they were fighting these dragons, the dragon's fire got really close to Hudson, 
And so Smokey sacrificed herself and was basically turned to ash. And that's where I cried. Me too. Tears run down my face. Because I was like, you know, they, oh, so they, okay, so they buy her these little ribbons as like a gift. And I just think of like a cute little cat with a little ribbon tied around her hair, right? So cute. And here she is, sacrificed herself. And in the book, Tracy Wolf tears my heart apart and talks about how her little red ribbon is just floating in the ash. And I was like, oh my God. I know. I, I don't read like any books about animals for this reason. And then like Tracy Wolf just hit me with like a bombshell. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I was like crying hysterically. I was like, I'm crying over a shadow figure. But all I could think about was that it was like a little kitty cat that just like loved him so much. Like this companion that for the first time in his life, uh, set Grace aside for a second. Something that truly loved him no matter what he was. And then it got ripped away from him again. And it was just like heart wrenching. But we have some hope because at the end, you know, Grace is like trying to figure everything out. And she's like, I don't want to say like everything, but she basically says, okay, if we got back here, there's got to be a way for us to go back and either save anybody who was killed or maybe they weren't actually killed. Maybe they were just like displaced someplace, like into another realm. Yeah, so they're like, book basically ends with them saying, you know, let's go save everybody. And I, and then I was left wanting to email Tracy Wolf asking if I could have an advanced copy of the last book. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> because I need to know. <laughs> I will say one other part that, we le- that I left out of uh, when we were talking about when they were preparing for this second fight with the dragons. Um was that Hudson was so afraid that he was going to lose Grace again, and he was basically willing to sacrifice himself to make sure that his Grace was okay. So he made a shadow promise to her, which from we learned from Niaz is like the strongest form of any kind of magic that you can do. And gives, yeah, and he gives her he gives her this ring, and he makes her this promise. That obviously she has to accept the ring first. That he makes her the promise. And he says, I love you with a love that shall not die until the sun grows cold and the stars grow old. And she accepts it. And it, like, locks this magic into place. So, which then ties into another book. It's just so much information. So much information. Well, that means that if he dies, she dies. If she dies, he dies. So... You know, if something were to happen to her, he would automatically die and vice versa. Which is like the ultimate form of like, love you till the end of time. Yeah. And it but, is like the sweetest thing ever. I, the sweetest thing ever. But in book four, they go to, without getting into too much, they go to like, uh, almost like a farmer's market or like a trading post. And... He gives her a ring then, and on the inside it says, till the sun grows cold and the stars grow old. So it's, like, part of the quote. And she doesn't know it, you know, even though this has already happened, because, you know, she doesn't remember anything. But readers know. And at this point, again, tears rolling down my cheeks. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, like I said at the beginning of this episode, emotionally shattered, torn apart, and then put back together again. 
I mean, this this was an incredible book. This whole series was amazing. And I, I mean, I it know was- we know for sure that there's a sixth book coming out. And I, I'm just, you know, I wouldn't be mad if there was one after that. Oh, yeah, me too. Like, I'll keep reading these. I mean, I don't I don't care how old I get. I will definitely keep reading these. Yeah, I mean, the the writing is just on a whole other level for me. There's, you know, it is a YA. It, well, it's fantasy fiction. They don't really say it's YA. But, you know, I, I think that it's geared towards any person that loves fantasy reading. But, you know, the characters are very young in the first book. You know, they're all in, in a high school. So, you know, they are younger. But I feel like her writing is so elevated that it doesn't make you feel like you're reading a book that's geared towards younger people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not, you know, simply put, you have it it takes like thought to actually like read it. Um you have to like think about what's being said and like why it's being said and it, it leaves like guessing. I think that it's more um it's more mature than you would think it would be. Does that make sense? Yes, no, nah, that's a good way to say it. I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Um, like, a 12-year-old is not going to read this book and understand it on the level that, like, somebody older would. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, and, there, and, you know, like we said earlier, there is some intimate parts in this book. So, you know, I don't think that it's geared towards younger readers. But, you know, I mean, I think anyone that's able to read should read this book. <laughs> Kate's like, I ship this book, okay? Yeah, like... <laughs> Just bury me with it when I die. <laughs> I want to go to the shadow realm with them. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot, too, because this is kind of important. I think it's going to be important in if, if Cherish is her last book. Um, so Hudson is next in line to be Vampire King. But we find out that Grace is actually Vampire, or I mean, Gargoyle, Gargoyle Queen. Queen. So how's that gonna work out? Like, are we gonna have like a like a interspecies thing going on, or or I, I don't know because I mean I kind of think like vampires stick to vampires. There are no other gargoyles that Grace knows of. Nobody at this knows point. Of. At this yeah, point. at this point. Well, no, in this book she doesn't know. We find out in the other book she does. She there is other gargoyles. Yeah. But now, but I mean, she does, you know, she finds out she's a queen and she's kind of like, queen of what? There's nobody here. (laughs) Oh, see, another missing puzzle piece to the rest of the books. Yeah. Yeah. I I stand firm on my point that I think that the way we read the books was the perfect way to read it. Yeah, I think so, too. I don't think I would have done it like any other way. Mm -mm, For sure. Okay. So that's a wrap for episode three of our weekend's booked. If you guys enjoyed us, please give us a rating on whatever podcast outlet you listen to and share with your friends. We also wanted to give you guys our Goodreads information. Brielle's is at Brielle923 and mine is at Kate0321. In case you guys wanted to check out some other books that we've read for some recommendations. Um, Again, I'm Kate. And I'm Brielle. Until next time. (laughs)